Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 81 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online, Hoffman Sausage Company, and Purple Banana. Our Josh Crawford had the opportunity to speak with the guys over at Inside Carolina the North Carolina site on the 24-7 Sports Network, about Saturday's matchup between the Orange and the Tar Heels. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Welcome back, Syracuse fans. Another edition behind enemy lines. I think a couple weeks ago, I think we got on with uh, on three and Tom Dean Hardy. We we got a dub, so I think for this season, uh, ten, tangentially, I think this going good. So uh, better team coming in with this behind enemy, enemy lines segment. We got some true ACC action going on, and for me to come and preview this UNC football team, I got not a one but two of the big reporters, Mr. Tommy Ashley inside Carolina, also Jeremiah Holloway inside Carolina. So two's better one. I think I learned that in math class at some point. But uh, before we get a, a deep delve in, uh, how are y'all doing today? And then just to get, give, just give a quick preview, I am a, I'm from, originally from Memphis, native Southerner, so I appreciate the Southern hospitality through the computer. People that actually care about conversating, talking to each other, and seeing how each other's days are going. I really appreciate that. Man, it's always a good day to talk football, no doubt. If, if it's North Carolina, Syracuse, anybody, it's always a fun time to talk some sports with folks, especially folks we don't, folks we don't normally get to talk to. No, I, Mr. Tommy, I seen that you was on the uh, the Austin Air Pod. They jacking my swag a little bit with the idea, but it's it's all love in the community. How was that for you? It was interesting. You know, you guys do a good job up there. Um, you know, we always try to talk to local beat writers of other teams, uh, but it's more difficult down here because nobody wants to hear from NC State or Duke or Wake Forest. Uh, you know, it's kind of gets tense when when we start trying to do that. So whenever somebody reaches out from Syracuse or we've got some good friends at Miami. We'll probably do something with them next week, but 
it's a nice time to get a different perspective. And especially for me being older, seeing the young crowd get involved and, and carry on this is pretty cool for me. Jeremiah, how you feel about being called uh, the youngest on the pod and being able to, to, to bring the young perspective to how you, how you feel? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's always good to, uh, you know, kind of have that variety, man. Me, Tommy, Adam Smith and John Bowman, man, we do the Tuesday night podcast or whatever. So you get a nice little blend of that, man. Uh, John, a pretty recent graduate of uh, of UNC. I'm a pretty recent graduate as well. But then obviously you have Adam and Tommy, man. Like they've, you know, been around. Like, so they definitely hold it down with all the, you know, the knowledge and the info and stuff, man. So you just try to, you know, uh, be a sponge with that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. I like the perspective I am able to kind of bring, um, you know, uh, in that regard. But it's always great to have, you know, both perspectives and, and really be able to, you know, kind of have a, you know, a really well-rounded, Really, some some really well rounded commentary uh, around UNC athletics, man. So it's uh, it's been a pleasure for sure. Yeah, let me jump in right there too, because Jeremiah is new to Inside Carolina. Uh, this is his first go round with us. He was down at the the other Carolina um, last year after graduating from Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's brought um, a great perspective, having been down there and seen how things work at a different place. And so it's pretty cool for me. I've been doing this way too long. Um, but like I mentioned, it's cool to see young people um, transition from being students into the real world, quote unquote, r real world and covering this stuff. And then the added perspective of um, that m we may miss, you know, being I graduated from Carolina in 93. So I'm, I'm well aware how old I am, but I, I like to keep up. But sometimes you miss things. Um, trying to be, you know, well, I want to be the old school way and this and that. But uh, it's interesting for me. Uh, to get the perspective of everybody and especially folks that are younger than me um, because it's a different lens that we all see life and see sports and, and the athletes and everything. So it's pretty cool for me and us old heads. And Jeremiah's been absolutely knocking it out of the park since he joined us up. Want to eat healthy like Syracuse football players? Then you want Purple Banana. Located on Marshall Street next to Varsity Pizza, Purple Banana is known for its acai bowls but offers many more bases than just acai with over 25 toppings to choose from. They also offer smoothies, cold-pressed juices, oatmeal, and salad. Everything is made from fresh ingredients daily and is colorful, healthy, and delicious. The vast majority of the shop is gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free with options for all health-specific needs. Purple Banana is your go-to shop for healthy, delicious options that will have you feeling like a Syracuse Orange athlete. Visit purplebanana315.com or purplebanana315 on Instagram for more. From now until the end of football season, participate in the Smoothie Showdown at Purple Banana to support Syracuse players and their charities. Caleb Okachuku, Justin Barron, and Marla Wax have each created a signature smoothie. One dollar from the purchase of each of their signature smoothies will go to the charity of the player's choice. The athlete who sells the most smoothies will earn an extra $1,000 for his charity, with an extra $200 going to the other player's charities as well. Okay. I'm about to say, nice, nice buttering up action to see. I think, yeah. I think, I think <laughs> you're on the, on the payroll going forward, Jeremiah. And I think for me, Mr. Tommy, kind of the same thing in terms of that the info swap, like, I know that Jeremiah, you're probably in a similar situation, like you said, like as a younger guy in the industry, like I, you, you, you seek mentorship and good role models and quality content everywhere you can, even just tapping into y'all's, you know, the inside, the, the preview pocket that y'all do, like it's you know, not to call anybody in the, any other media teams, but it's definitely like a concerted 
informed effort to make sure the, not only just the uh, the quantity of content, which y'all I think y'all live stream what three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and then another one. We um, knock it out. We we roll five days a week, yeah, okay. six, and we do a show live. Uh, Jeremiah's a big part of the show live on Saturday on game days. So we we try to get as many perspective as as possible. So this one's this one's good for us to sort of step out of our little echo chamber that is inside Carolina to get it from the other side. I'm excited about say it's already a relationship format. I hope we can work together in the in the in the future. But what we're here to talk about, um, big ticket guy Drake May. You know, first round quarterback, somebody that has, I'll say revolutionized, but definitely uplifted this UNC offense since he stepped foot on campus. The one first thing I want to ask y'all, with y'all observing him regularly, what are some, you know, observations, strengths, weaknesses, idiosyncrasies in general that y'all have observed that, you know, other teams or national media would have overlooked? Yeah. So I'll go ahead and, you know, start with that. I think when you look at what Drake may accomplish last year, it was a lot about the numbers. So you saw the 4,000 plus yards. I believe it was 38 touchdown passes, and and you saw a lot of that. I think when you look at Drake May now, uh, you really have to like watch him play. He's not necessarily in Heisman talks this year because his stats are not you know necessarily Heisman stat. A lot of times, uh, you know when you're looking at a at a Heisman vote, uh, you're looking at the statistics, you're looking at the strength of schedule, things like that. So I mean Drake May right now through four games is you know five touchdown passes, three rushing touchdowns, uh, the four interceptions. So it's not necessarily you know, gaudy stats, but when you watch him play, when you watch him kind of manage and control a game, uh, I think he's actually in some ways kind of shown improvements and he's kind of been a little bit better from a standpoint of getting the ball out a little bit quicker. Um, UNC's run game has also improved. So I think that's actually helped Drake a little bit. Um, and even this, the, the efficiency of the offense, a lot of the times, you know, they'll get down, you know, closer to the red zone and they'll run the ball in for a touchdown rather than have Drake throw it for a touchdown. So I think when you look at UNC overall, um, they've been able to kind of, you know, get the ball to different playmakers. And that in turn has made uh, Drake May's numbers a little bit lower. But looking specifically at Drake May and his skill set, first of all, he's really athletic guy. So when, you know, the pocket does break down, whoever, he's one of those guys that can really get outside of the pocket scramble. Um, you know, his deep ball accuracy is there. Those first couple games, they weren't taking quite as many deep shots, but I think they've been able to open it up a little bit. They had a guy, Nate McCollum's their slot receiver. He came back. That kind of helped out, uh, you know, J.J. Jones, who's currently their leading receiver. That's helped out some of his opportunities to go deep down the field as well. Um, you know, and also just the the decision-making. This year they have a new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. Phil Longo had been their guy for the last few years. Chip Lindsey's in there now, and I think the the way that Chip Lindsey calls games you know, the ball is not necessarily in harm's way a lot of the time. Uh, so they know pretty much when to check it down. They know when to go over the top. I think those first few games, they were trying to really find that balance of that. Um, and I think really the last two, they've opened it up a lot more. Um, Drake had his first, you know, 400-yard passing game against Minnesota in week three. That was his first one since, you know, probably the tail end or maybe a little bit before the tail end of last year. Uh, so, again, you know, really starting to – open it up a little bit now. And even though the stats might not, you know, be a the ultimate reflection, and his stats aren't even bad, <laughs> you know, just not the, the surface level box score stats. They're not even, they're not bad at all. Um, but I think, you know, to me, he's the second best quarterback in college football. I would still say Caleb Williams is, is probably number one, but I would say Drake may because of his athleticism, his accuracy, he's been, I mean, 70 plus percent completion rate. 
So because of his athleticism, his accuracy, his decision-making, I mean, he's definitely in the top two quarterbacks uh, in college football right now. Mr. Tommy, what have your observations been about, like I said, stuff that we other media members wouldn't notice about May so far in terms of that uh, continued progression of, in the pocket? Yeah, I, I mean, Jeremiah hit on it, and I've said it before. Um, it, it's not easy to go out, throw for a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns, but you see teams that have quarterbacks that have to do that. Um, Caleb Williams has to do that. Michael Penix has to do that. Um, and, and you look at teams in the past, you know, you go out to the Mountain West and to the Pac-12 back in the day, you've got guys that are throwing it all over the field, uh, you know, greatest show on turf, all that kind of stuff, throwing for a ton of yards, but their teams aren't very good, not very balanced. I think what you see this year is, is North Carolina is more balanced and it helps Drake and it makes Drake not have to be the guy every game. Uh, you know, he against Sap State. He didn't have the greatest game. Carolina rushed for 300-plus yards against Minnesota when Minnesota said, we're not going to let you run the ball. Uh, then he went nuts. And then against Pitt and even against South Carolina, he was more of a manager. I think a lot of times when people talk about the quarterbacks, and especially college quarterbacks, if they don't have ridiculous numbers or you call them a game manager, that's a, seen as a negative. And I just I don't buy that because when you look at – you know, Stetson Bennett for Georgia or, or these Alabama quarterbacks um, that have led national championship teams, you wouldn't consider them, even though Stetson Bennett was pretty strong at times last year, but you wouldn't consider them like the best quarterback in the country by any means. But the bottom line is, and Drake said it, and Jeremiah talked about it, and we've talked about it a ton at Inside Carolina, it's about winning football games, you know. The NFL doesn't look and see that somebody threw for 500 yards a game. They don't look at that because if they did, you'd have teams like, uh, you know, Washington State or Oregon State or these teams that just go nuts. Their quarterbacks would be the top picks every year. And, and that's not the case. And I, I remember I throw out a name that predates you guys, but like Ryan Leaf. He and Peyton Manning were the top two quarterbacks. Well, Peyton Manning played for Tennessee. Ryan Leaf played out there at Washington State, I believe. And he was considered the greatest ever at the time. He gets to the pros and he stinks. No disrespect to him, but he did. <laughs> and and you see what Peyton Manning did. So I think Drake's in line this year to be that guy whose game translates to the next level. And at the same time, it translates to winning football for North Carolina. It's tough when you carry the the uh, the burden of having to make plays. I mean, you see the guy behind me on the wall. There early on in his career in the pros, he had to do everything for the Chicago Bulls. Once they got some players that could help him, they balanced it out a little bit, they became a really good team. And I think that's what North Carolina's doing here is helping Drake not only be a better quarterback for his future, but help be a better football team and not just a team that can put up a ton of points but still lose games when it matters. And that's what Carolina did last year. I mean, they lost games when it mattered. Uh, long way to go this year. We'll see how it progresses, but I do think he's a much better quarterback than he was last year. So both of y'all, you know, kind of hit on, you know, in the sentiment that it's, it's not a every game is not a shootout in the same way that it was last year. You know, a lot of that goes to that improved defense. You know, Doc Staples on y'all show on Monday threw out some uh, some really niche, you know, havoc stats out that talked about you know the pressure rate that's been going up, but just in general. Because I know you, Tommy, specifically said that, like, there's been a big jump in the defense, but there hasn't been a lot of, like, new personnel introduced. Come on, Rutgers, a guy that was here last year. Cedric Gray is a guy that was here last year. 
what has what have y'all observed that's been the big reason for the jump? And do y'all see it being you know a sustainable thing going to ACC play? It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells. Hoffman is a proud sponsor of Syracuse University Athletics. Uh, I mean, I can hit that first, and I'll tee it up for Jeremiah, is they're older. There's year two in the system. Uh, I mean, I think across the board in football, year two is always going to be better uh, because while it is still football, if you have somebody that comes in and brings a new system and brings their terminology and all that kind of stuff, it takes a while to get used to that. And, and to play rather than think about what you're doing. You see a guy like Cayman Rucker, um, nicknamed the Butcher, and he's been that this year because he is on fire every snap. He's going to play hard every snap. He's not the ideal size, um, but he understands exactly what he needs to do this year. And they've got him in the position that Jack role, um, you know, or that they use in, in Gene Chizik's defense that he can – do what he does, and that's rush the quarterback and make plays in the backfield. Whereas last year, he kind of bounced around um, to either end. He, he was doing multiple things. And so in year two, the defense has gotten better, and guys have owned it more. I felt like last year watching this team, and maybe in years past, when things went sideways, I'm not sure guys took it as personal as maybe they should have or could have. And you see that more, and that's a function of the coaching staff getting through. That's a function of, you know, Ted Monachino coming in and being being a big, big benefit for this team. Um, and then guys making plays. But don't discount the importance of that secondary on that front seven because I think Elijah Huzzy, and I'll let Jeremiah talk about that, I think Elijah Huzzy's addition plus getting rid of a couple guys and adding, or at least a couple guys getting some age on them has really helped on the back end and it helps all around. Yeah, for sure. And going off what Tommy said, you're two in the system. That's been something that almost uniformly every player, every defensive player that we talked to from, I got here at the very end of the spring, but in the fall training camp and then during this season, Almost everybody has cited that as a reason why they feel the defense is better. Then we, when we see it on the field and we ask them after the game, they say the same thing. They have a heightened level of comfort in the defense that's being ran. I think players know where to be. They know what to do. They know what their role is. And I think you know, also Gene Chizik and that coaching staff, defensive coaching staff, they have a better feel for what they have personnel-wise, what certain players' strengths are, and what certain players' weaknesses are. I think also... And I didn't cover North Carolina last year, but I was a student at UNC Chapel Hill. And I do remember a lot of those defenses that, you know, struggled at times, you know, whether it was tackling, whether it was the secondary, uh, like, like Tommy was mentioning. But I think a lot of why the, the secondary has improved is because of Elijah Huzzy, who they brought in from East Tennessee State. So that was a transfer player that they got there. Initially was designed to play, you know, a true cornerback role, but they play what they call at UNC the star. So essentially the nickel. So he's really, that's where he's been. Uh, he had his first two interceptions of the season against Pitt right before the bye week, but he probably could have more like he's been in position to get, you know, a little bit more uh, than even those two. But he's been making plays all season, just kind of a guy that's all over the field, has a knack for 
you know, being able to make plays on the ball and being in the right spot. And then when you also look at the you know the corners they have up front, Marcus Allen and redshirt freshman Tayon Holloway, they have a different really trio, I guess, you know, of corners because last year you would have had, uh, you know, Tony Grimes out there. You would have had uh, Storm Duck out there. Those guys have since departed. And so now you have, uh, you know, those two. So it's really – and I, and even though Tayon and, and, and Marcus Allen were there last year, it's, it's in a lot of ways it's a, a new-look secondary, you know, and then even up front, obviously you have Power Eccles and, and, and Cedric Gray at the linebackers. But up front, uh, Tamari Fox was a guy that wasn't available to you last year, and I think his uh, presence in addition has been something helpful to UNC – uh, Des Evans was there last year, but got hurt late, but he's really taken a step up on that defensive line. You have Amari Gaynor, who they got from Florida State. He's in there now. Bo Atkinson has made some plays. He's a young guy. He's a redshirt freshman. So there are some guys that have been key contributors that either weren't available to UNC last year or didn't have as much of a role, and they've been able to get in there uh, you know, and do some stuff as well. And just one more to kind of wrap this up, uh, last year, UNC gave up about 30 points a game. Right now they're at 22. So that's a whole touchdown difference just points per game wise. If you can carry that further into the ACC schedule, that bodes really well for you. It takes less pressure off of the, or it takes pressure off of the offense as well on that other side to kind of get in these shootouts. uh, If your defense is able to limit about a touchdown a game difference uh, in comparison to last year. No, even with uh, when Mac Brown doing his second tour of duty, you know, at UNC, the recruiting class, you talked about a guy like Tony Grimes, a guy that's still out there in Des Evans that you're getting that that five-star elite talent. And I think that it's definitely starting to show itself out when, you know, it's not an immediate impact like basketball. It takes years to, you know, develop college strength to get a hold of that playbook. And I, I, I am seeing, you know, that play out and honestly a little bit more surprised in the way that you don't associate UNC with uh, just a hard knockback type of defense. The one thing I do want to talk about this defense is uh, the run defense. As you over here, we have with the three three five Rocky Long, those three down linemen, it hasn't been the best for us. But for y'all, um, outside of South Carolina, who with Beamer and Spencer Rattler, they're going to air out the ball constantly. Y'all have given up at least 80 yards to uh, every uh, running back that's gotten over 10 carries this season. How do y'all feel about the run game? Y'all played a lot tougher schedule than us so far. You know, uh, Purdue and then Army, I'll give us a, a 1.5 in terms of FBS teams versus y'all having a, a tougher schedule. Do you think that run defense is a function of the tougher schedule that y'all play so far or that uh, a bigger concern that y'all have going forward? Yeah, I think the run defense is probably the the main, you know, kind of point of concern. I think last year, a lot of it, and this is, I'm going to kind of tie this back in a little bit. Last year, um, a lot of the conversation about the, the defense up front, I, I, there was a lot of conversation about the defense last year, but I think one thing was the ability to get to the quarterback and bring pressure on the quarterback. That's especially relevant against Syracuse because Syracuse has Garrett Schrader, a guy who himself can really run it. He had the 195 against Purdue. Uh, and he's had, I wish I remembered the exact number of rushing touchdowns he has on the year, but his yards per carry is efficient as well. Uh, so a lot of what Syracuse kind of does from running back from a running game standpoint kind of is, you know, Garrett Schrader kind of kind of leading the, the charge. And then obviously the running backs they have back there as well. I mean, UNC has given up some some big plays and some big games even. to. I mean, when you looked at what Nate Noel did against App State, obviously he's a talented player. He carved them up last year. You know, this year he carved them up again. Um, and so Minnesota had some pretty good – I thought Minnesota probably got away from the run pretty early. But, I mean, nonetheless, they still were able to kind of get some good runs in there. So I think 
what you was when when you look at that, uh, UNC's got to really be able to kind of get back there, or at least you know kind of stop those guys uh, early and often, because what that's going to do is that's going to determine who wins kind of the the clock battle. Uh, the clock battle is super important because when you look at that Syracuse game last week against Clemson, uh, Syracuse kind of let that game get away from them because of the the turnovers. So they ended up giving up, uh, you know, touchdowns off the result of of, of turnovers really. And so plays like that just kind of change the game. So you want to keep opposing offenses um, off the field and you want to bring your own uh, kind of back on as much as possible. So uh, UNC is going to have to be able to just just get off the field. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think probably against App State the most, they struggled to do that, to just get off the field uh, and stop some of those drives. Even against Pitt um, right before the bye week, they gave up a 13-play, eight-minute drive, the opening drive. So, so it's stuff like that. You just got to be able to – to just get off the field and 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 things like that. So the run game is definitely something they're going to have to uh, be able to focus on because it's, it's not, you know, something they've been great at so far. I think South Carolina's offensive line, they kind of had some issues and their running backs were that, – that running back situation was a little bit uh, different that first week. But, yeah, that's something that UNC is going to have to definitely uh, hone in on for Saturday. I'll, I'll jump in here. I, I think to build off what Jeremiah said is, North Carolina has faced teams that can't throw it, and, and so teams that want to run it. South Carolina obviously um, threw it all over the field, but they had, depending on what stat book you look at, either minus yards rushing or, or 11 yards rushing total. Um, and, and then you've got Minnesota who wants to run it, and you've got Pitt who wants to run it. The, the key, North Carolina is allowing 124 yards a game on the ground um, against those teams. App State is sort of an outlier. Um, they do different things with their scheme that I, I think has always affected North Carolina. Syracuse will do some similar stuff. But the thing about North Carolina's run defense is that if they can take one thing away from a team, they're going to do that. And that's what Gene Chizik likes to do. You know, you, you took away the run game. You made Spencer Rattler have to win the game throwing it. And he had a good game. I mean, regardless of getting sacked six times, he played really well. Nine times, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. took a beating in the yeah. process and still um, went nuts through the air. So I think for Carolina, the key against a team like Syracuse with a mobile quarterback that can do both is when you have an opportunity to get somebody on the ground, you do it. Um, very rarely do, do especially in running game, do – uh, you see runs where nobody um, is anywhere near somebody, right? So it's usually a missed tackle um, in the gap or some missed tackle on the edge. North Carolina's key against Syracuse, and same way for Syracuse against Carolina, is you get your hands on somebody, you get them on the ground, and you minimize uh, those yards after, a con after contact. And I think Carolina's done that better, especially in the secondary. Uh, we mentioned Eliza Huzzy earlier. First play of the South Carolina game, Huzzy comes up and makes a tackle in the backfield for a loss that, quite frankly, North Carolina fans hadn't seen in several years. That's a huge play because it gets them immediately behind the chains, and then it goes from there. So I think North Carolina's defense, Miles Murphy, Tamari Fox, Kevin Hester, those guys need to be solid up front. But the discipline that comes with not allowing somebody to break contain or Garrett Schrader get outside or flush up the middle – is the key port part there is North Carolina's done better doing their job. And if every guy does their job, we know the defense works. Um, it doesn't take but one to screw it up, and then it's 
somebody's off to the races. You saw that against Pittsburgh. Once they figured out what Pitt was doing, they sort of shut that down. So North Carolina's defense by no means is, is great. Uh, by no means, I don't even think I'd say they're, they're really good. Um, but they've been decent, and, and they say giant step up. And then you've got guys that can make splash plays. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch against a dual-threat quarterback um, and see what Syracuse wants to do. The same thing for Rocky Long on the other side. It's pick your poison um, for both coaches, both defensive coordinators, and we'll see how it shakes out. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, that's, that was the thing that last year with Sean Tucker, I wasn't the biggest fan of a guy like Gary Schrader averaging 15, 20 carries a game. But especially with, uh, with Gasson going down and us losing Isaiah Jones, his legs have been the most consistent offense for us this year. So it would definitely be a thing for me seeing how y'all's defense will react to a guy that's – a lot of his his rush yards or his biggest chunk plays are going to be off-schedule scrambles versus even the design QB runs, which he talked about that physicality. He definitely brings a level of that with just his, his physique, his size on, on that frame. But also, it's, just, it's a fine balancing line that we're going to – they're going to throw him out there and with you know this three-game stretch, Clemson, y'all, FSU on the back end of it. Like these are the games where he throws that caution to the wind a little in a, a more of a sense, you know, not being as protective of his body, but it's definitely just something that we'll see how how big of an impact these three games and the amount of carries and hits more likely that he takes. Um, we'll see how that play out to the rest of the ACC season. Talking about the run game, former D-line myself, so I love talking about the big boys up front. You mm-hmm. talked a little, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, y'all's run game has, you know, kind of stabilized and assist and helped Drake May not, like I said, have to be Superman back there. For me, just looking at the stats and looking at the game, Omari on Hampton, he was a guy that's, like, taking control of the, the running game as RB1 this year. And the guy that that was the leader rusher last year, Elijah Green, he just, he's still on the roster. He just has a drastically reduced role. What has been the jump for Omari and Hampton in terms of, like, solidifying that lead back that is after being more of a change of pace guy? And like I said, we talked about it a little bit, but what has he done in just in terms of uh, making this offense more versatile and not make, making not laying everything in the feet of May? You want it, Jeremiah, or I can take it either way. Oh, we can double you, team. you can lead off. You can lead off. Yeah. Omarion uh, is, you know, he is a beast of a physical specimen, and uh, the more he gets going, the tougher it is for him to get brought down. And so you've got that aspect of him. He's his struggles with his vision last year. And, you know, I watched him play all through middle school, all through high school, and he didn't really need vision because he just truck everybody and go. And he has speed. We've seen that he's got you know a pretty high top end. Um, but for him, he's got more consistent in hitting the hole where it's there and not running up the back of his lineman. And I think he breaks those tackles I talked about earlier. Um, you look at a guy like British Brooks, probably a little more twitchy, a, a little more able to make a cut in the hole, um, but a similar guy size-wise. And, and so you've got these two guys that are tough physical runners, and they sort of bail out their running, uh, their offensive line on occasion. And, and North Carolina hadn't really gone to the change-up back this year. A lot of people thought it would be George Petaway 
Um, but he decided to red shirt, sit out the remainder of the season to save that extra year. Don't blame him at all because he hadn't played. And we haven't really seen Caleb Hood or Elijah Green much. Um, both of those guys, Caleb Hood especially, is another big physical guy. Um, and Elijah Green may be the changeup, but, but North Carolina has relied on the physical pounding running styles of Hampton and Brooks. And I think Omarion, one thing people don't talk about enough with running backs, and Jason Staples, you mentioned Doc Staples earlier, uh, number one job of a running back is not get your quarterback killed. And if you go look at the touchdown pass that Drake threw the other day to Bryson Nesbitt, he comes all the way across the, the backfield and gets a blitzing linebacker. It gets a free runner. And those type plays earn trust not only from Drake but from the coaching staff. And then when you're 6'1", 6'2", 220, 225, just pure rock running, he's going to make guys – uh, feel it when they try to tackle him and especially late games so for me the difference is his physicality his maturity and his ability to protect drake yeah certainly and and to go off of you know all those points that time made i think we're we're very spot on i think a lot of what has kind of caused the, the you know the drop in efficiency of, as far as the running game first of all UNC's offensive line has kind of dealt with some injuries, um, you know, so there have been some guys kind of in and out of that rotation. Uh, so I, I'm sure that has some of an impact. And I also think the defensive lines that they've played would probably step up from South Carolina, certainly South Carolina's and, and I would even say App State's because App State is the game that Amari Hampton went ballistic. He had the 230-plus, I think three touchdowns in that game. So, so, you know, that was kind of his breakout game that, you know, really has made him in some ways the lead back. Also, British Brooks was out in that game, but he has since played in the last two. And UNC's even said that they think, you know, British Brooks is, is healthy right now, but what those, you know, what Minnesota and what Pitt did against the run uh, has certainly impacted, you know, kind of the, the efficiency of the way they've been able to run the ball. And they've been able to run it at times the last few games. But one thing I want to kind of bring up, I mean, Syracuse has really good defense, and their defense has been – the mob, baby, the mob. Yeah, it's been it's been real strong against the run as well. I think they're fourth in ACC as far as rush yards per game. They're allowing fewer than a hundred rush yards per game. They held uh they held Will Shipley to sixty one, and Will Shipley's been the lead guy at Clemson for years now. Uh, and they held him to sixty one rushing yards. So, I think that's a certain that's that's obviously a, you know, an area to watch. I think. Because it's a UNC running game that's trying to get back on track, you know, the line and the backs included. This is a UNC run game that's trying to get back on track, running into a a Syracuse run defense that is obviously one of the strongest uh, in the ACC, and they backed it up uh, in that game against Clemson. But um, I think Tommy hit a lot of the the right points on just the style of running backs that UNC likes. They've really kind of had the two back system, and that's that's what they've gone with. Uh, we've seen a little bit of Caleb Hood, not much of Elijah Green, but that's what they want to do this year. Like they want to have an identity as a running game. Mac Brown says it all the time that they want to be able to run the ball when teams know they're going to run the ball, you know, uh, and so and getting in those uh, in those situations. But again, kind of some of the stuff I was talking about as far as controlling the clock. I mean, UNC is going to need that, you know, UNC is going to really need that against the Syracuse team that, you know, likes to. Um, you know, run it and, and, and different things like that. And the fact that Syracuse defense 
is so strong, as much as you control the clock, you still want to be able to move the ball down the field. Like, you know, there's going to have to be some sort of creativity um, either in the passing game or maybe even in the running game. I don't, I don't know that there's been a ton of just unique little plays. I mean, there's, there's probably been a, a few, but that's not really what UNC tries to do. They really do try to kind of get up the middle and let Hampton and Brooks make some plays. But, I mean, they're going to have to find a way to, you know, really move the ball down the field. They haven't really had too much issue doing that as a whole offensively. Um, but, you know, I think the running game is something they're going to have to – There's it's something they're going to want to get back on track uh, sooner rather than later, I will say. No, and teams have committed teams have committed to stop the run. You see, um, you know, Minnesota committed to stop the run. Yeah. And, and I think Syracuse will have to pick. Rocky Long knows what he's doing. I mean, he's a fantastic defensive coordinator. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the tack that they take. But, you know, North Carolina has shown that balance. And this is why I think it's important with Chip Lindsey's hire over Phil Longo is Phil Longo's offenses were flashy and made a lot of big plays. But if you stop that kind of stuff, then they didn't really have um, a go-to after that. And I think that's where North Carolina sort of grown this year. Again, Syracuse, to Jeremiah's point, is going to be a, a higher-level defense than maybe even they've played yet. Um, but the physicality of Minnesota's front, Pittsburgh's front, and even South Carolina had athletes um, that were fairly physical North Carolina's got, had the ability to switch it up and go a different direction if they need to. Um, so it'll be an interesting battle. It's going to work for both teams both ways is try to figure out what where's the success and not try to keep doing things that don't work. And I think Carolina's been good at that this year. No, it is, like I said, just watching uh, that pit tape and seeing, like you said, I call it off-the-bus crew. And Amarion Hampton is definitely first team off-the-bus crew. We talk about the run defense and, you know, that three-man front with Rocky Long. The backs that we played so far, a guy like Devin Mockaby at Purdue, a guy like Will Shipley at Clemson, we talked about how he's been, you know, a lead back in the ACC for a while, but just not that super physically imposing figure. So I think Omarion Hampton will be probably the biggest, strongest back that his team has faced. And, you know, rocking along does like to, you know, scheme up a lot of pressures with, with our linebacker crew, either mugging in those A and B gaps or bringing edges off the end. So it'll be interesting to see how much he trusts this, this three-man front that's essentially running base and corral guy that size you know, without having to bring, uh, you know, extra blisters or four or five-man pressures. Uh, we talked about the offensive line a little bit. I see both of our teams in kind of similar situations with some of the shuffling, the injuries, things like that, just not being the most consistent unit. For y'all, again, it's very similar situations, having a, a guy go off to the, the league with a, a Seam Richards, that's kind of been the biggest thing that, that's held this offense back so far. And y'all talked a little bit on the show Tuesday. Do y'all think that this is a thing to where uh, Chip Lindsey can – you know, kind of scheme up, you know, quicker ways to get the ball out of May's hands, throw an extra tight end or H-backs in there, or does this O-line just have to really bow up and, uh, you know, protect May, protect May better? Yeah, I, I think you make some good points as far as throwing extra tight ends in there. I know what, a lot that they talked about during the fall was, uh, you know, Freddie Kitchens is their tight ends coach right now, and so uh, Kamari Morales, who's one of the tight ends of the team, was saying, hey, Freddie Kitchens has made it clear that, you know, if you're not going to block, you're not going to play. You know, so that's been some that's been a point of emphasis. Uh, even in some of the practices we've got to watch, we've seen the ways in which they try to kind of get those tight ends, uh, you know, involved. They like to have them sometimes behind the offensive line, kind of, you know, extra little, little support. And just, you know, they can do different things, um, you know, out of that. It's something you can 
uh, you know, probably scheme and game plan for and, and, and things like that. I think the availability of Willie Lampkins is probably going to be really important. He's missed the last two games. He was a transfer that UNC brought over. Um, and so, and, and the guy that, I mean, he is a five foot 11 offensive lineman, which is rare. That's probably the first time I've ever heard of that. Certainly on the ACC, FBS level, whatever. Yeah, level, golly. It, exactly. So, but he has, in the games that he has played, he's actually, he, he's been a force. He really has. Um, and so I think UNC having a guy like that back in there, uh, would mean a lot, you know, they do, they've talked about wanting to have kind of an eight deep rotation in the offensive line, but really, uh, as the way it plays out in game, it ends up being the same five for pretty much the duration of the game. Um, uh, I think they have played a total of eight, but you know, injuries kind of had a, you know, a role in that. But, um, I think the continuity on the line, you know, kind of, like I said, um, you know, hasn't been mostly because of injury, because of injury, it hasn't been like a, you know, a single line, but I think they've been able to kind of fill in the gaps where they can. But, you know, I think, yeah, to your point, um, you know, bringing in the tight ends is something that you could be able to do. And also even just in the passing game, I think if the, the line collapses sooner than it needs to, can you get it to a tight, can you get it to Kamari Morales or John Copenhaver, you know, just, just getting the ball out quick. Um, it has been a point of emphasis that Chip Lindsey's been working with Drake May to do to get just get the ball out uh, faster. And so I think it's something that they have the personnel certainly to do. Uh, it'll just be a matter of how the game plays out, uh, how successful Syracuse is getting back there and, and start and trying to disrupt Drake and, and what he's trying to do. Um, but certainly the the way in which UNC is able to block. Um, that could say a lot about this game. That could say a lot about how, you know, maybe even the outcome, you know, of, of uh, you know, of the game on Saturday. Yeah, we, we we really don't even talk about turnovers because, you know, turnovers are are a thing in every game. But I've always thought they're just basically um, luck or random events unless your quarterback's just throwing it to the other team. Um, but to circle back to the Willie Lampkin discussion, yeah, I'm – not the tallest person, but I got four or five inches on Willie. And, and to know how he plays the game at that size, I think a lot of people, um, and if you do, you do it at your own peril, is sort of a discount him because he is so small. I mean, you look at the uh, the team photos when they're in practice or whatever and everybody's standing around. You've got these guys that are 6'5", 6'6", 320, 330, and you got him as, you know, 5'11", 285, 290, maybe if you're lucky. Um, but he's just, uh, he's a wrestler and everybody talks about that, but it's a factor because he gets underneath guys and just works guys and he doesn't stop. You know, he'll put you in the back of the end zone um, when they're scoring on a one yard play. And so I think his health is key for this offensive line. And, and to circle back and sort of wrap up my point, the whole game is if North Carolina does their job, individually and collectively then i think carolina wins this game but syracuse has got the ability to make it interesting and ugly especially when you have a quarterback you've got the big receivers and then you've got rocky long on the defensive end and and so that that is what i'll be watching is how does north carolina's offense adapt to what rocky long is going to do and how does north carolina handle the size on the outside for syracuse and schrader's ability to make plays with his feet no, that's the thing to where, hey, being a former FCS guy, topping out at 60 myself, that leverage, that ability to have that loss in the gravity, you know, as 
these recruiters and guys like that get into these these P5 levels, they're definitely buying more with their eyes. But with the, the portal just being more prevalent, getting a guy like that started three years at Coastal Carolina, like the productivity speaks for itself. And with O-Lyman, just the success that that offense has, has had with uh, Grayson McCall and just those consecutive starts, you know that you're getting a guy that's coming to, to bring that lunch period day in and day out. So uh, shout out Willie Lampkin. So we, y'all talked a little bit about um, just the different, the way that this USC offense likes to attack. One thing I, I did want to ask y'all about was obviously, you know, everybody knows about the the, the Tez Walker situation. And um, just transparently speaking, how much the NCAA sucks and the, the, how arbitrary they are in those rulings, but also losing a guy in Josh Downs in the NFL who's catching the pass from Anthony Richardson right now. So how, I guess, has that changed the offensive ceiling of this team in terms of attacking downfield, incorporating guys like J.J. Jones and Nate McCollum as, you know, feature guys more than just a slot or, or prefer, peripheral guys? So how how is that again? I guess lowered the offensive ceiling a, a little bit. Is that something that y'all see that I guess could be exposed with a, a really stand up secondary? Yeah, certainly. So some background on that: UNC brings in Tez Walker and Nate McCollum to really be their two main guys in the receiving game. Nate being more of a slot guy, obviously Tez being the guy on the outside. Uh, but he's a tall dude, you know, physical and but really fast, right? And so that so that they were really you know, expecting Tez to be wide receiver number one. What happens the first game, Nate McCollum actually has uh, is injured. So Nate McCollum misses uh, that first game. So what UNC does as far as the receiver rotation, they have J.J. Jones, and I'm going to bring this kind of back because J.J. Jones is currently the leading receiver on the team. You have J.J. Jones as outside guy. You have Gavin Blackwell's outside guy, and he's actually missed the last he missed the last game, and we'll see what his availability is. Um, you know, Mac Brown said that they think they'll be okay, but we'll see. So you had JJ, you had uh, Gavin was the other outside. Kobe Pesor was in the slot, and so when Nate McCollum returned, that actually moved Kobe to the outside, and Nate goes in the slot, and and JJ Jones, uh, you know, has been on the outside, and so what that does, JJ Jones has you know really kind of emerged, and he's another guy that is a tall receiver and he's got some speed. I don't know that he's as fast as Tez. Uh, well, he's, he's not, but he's a tall dude and he can, what he's been able to do is that post route uh, from the right, uh, you know, him and Drake may have connected on that several times this year. Uh, two of those have gone for 50 plus yards. Um, and so it's, it's really just opened things up for, uh, for UNC. Now, I think if you do have Tez Walker in that lineup, I mean, Lord knows what would happen because you would have Tez on that one side. You would have J.J. Jones on another side. You'd have Nate McCollum in the slot. And then, you know, if you wanted to throw an extra wide receiver, you could throw in Kobe Pesor, who Kobe Pesor stepped up a lot for them last year when Josh Downs and Antoine Green went out. So you could throw a Kobe Pesor in there. Then you could even throw a Gavin Blackwell in there. And just kind of who knows what would happen. And I think, you know, if there's any UNC fans listening right now, they're kind of just like, you know, uh, you know, clenching their fists, right? Because they're like, you know, we could have had, we could have had this, could have had that. Um, but, it, but in all seriousness, I think it having Tez Walker certainly would have opened up the uh, cert- opened up the passing game even more uh, than it's already been opened up. Because I didn't even mention the tight ends; they have a pretty deep tight end room. Uh, you know, probably the strongest in the in the ACC for sure with Kamari Morales, Bryson Nesbitt, and uh, and John Copenhaver. But um, I think, and I do probably give some of the credit to Chip Lindsay as well for his ability to kind of 
get different guys involved in the offense so far. I know it's pretty early. It's four games in, uh, but they've found a way to get different guys involved, whether that is some of the tight ends. I think Bryson Nesbitt is leading the tight ends and catches right now. Uh, but getting some of those tight ends involved and then even just allowing for J.J. Jones to kind of show the step up and evolution in his game. Uh, Drake May has been able to get those guys the ball. So um, I think UNC, you know, all things considered, has absolutely, um, you know, kind of made up for that loss. And it's interesting to call it a loss because he didn't play for them last year. But when you go the whole spring and the whole fall, training and practicing as if he was your number one wide receiver all the way up until the South Carolina game, even, you know, practicing as if he was your number one, Yet that is kind of a that's an adjustment that we probably don't see as much on the field because he wasn't there last year. But, you know, that's that's what they had practiced and prepared and game planned for. But um, I, like I said, in all things considered, I think they've really kind of filled it in, allowed J.J. Jones to kind of be the, the lead guy so far. And, and Nate McCollum, his return his you know, in the slot and his his ability to make plays. I mean, he had a 15 catch, 21 target game against Minnesota. So. Um, you know, I think that just kind of goes to show that um, it can really be, you know, either those two guys uh, on a given night in the passing game. Yeah, Jeremiah nailed it. I mean, the only thing I'll say and just sort of reiterate is the loss of Walker has made Carolina more of a grind out offense, mm -hmm. a little bit less flash. And you don't get the freebies where you just have a guy that runs past everybody. And um, Walker could certainly do that. There's times when uh, Carolina's been able to do that. But there's only been one really, and that was against South Carolina, Kobe Pacer, that you know a guy ran past the defense and scored over the top. And so that'll be the interesting thing to watch as the season progresses. As if Walker never plays a down, it'll be one of those things like, what if? What if this? What if that? But North Carolina's offense has still got the ability to, to make plays it just might not be the quick, you know, the one play, 80 yard, 17 second drives that maybe they could have had if they had Walker. No issue. I, I, where again, aligned in terms of, you know, that forced expanded versatility with, uh, with gassing going down. Y'all are probably dealing with the same thing in terms of, you know, really fleshing out, you know, the abilities of the, of the, the peripheral uh, territory uh, type of guys. And, you know, like you said, it kind of lowers the ceiling in terms of, you know, that quick strike ability, but, you just give a more expensive offense and you have guys that, you know, stepping into roles they not necessarily wouldn't have gotten, getting snapped that they necessarily wouldn't have gotten last year. And, you know, that kind of, like, force expanded versatility, you know, I already see it paying off for us a little bit. And for y'all, I think that, you know, aspirations are probably going a little deeper than us in terms of ACC championship. That could be something that a guy that, you know, a, a, a guy like Kobe Preysor that wouldn't expect to be a featured guy comes up with a, a big play late in the season. So it, it definitely has its, its, its uh, benefits and negatives. I think everybody on here would agree that a guy like Tez Walker would be, you know, an added addition to something that a welcome addition. But it does force your, your offense to uh, just be more well-rounded in a sense. Guys, I really appreciate it, all the info that I've gotten for y'all. And things are coming to win. So we'll talk about uh, just the game expectations in general. For y'all, um, like I said, 4 no. The spread's eight and a half, so not a um, not a blowout, but something that a game that y'all should confidently win. If this game doesn't go y'all's way, what does it do for the season expectations for UNC? And how do y'all see if we do if SU does pull up a win? What uh, what kind of formula goes into that? Ooh, I'll start. I mean, I think for North Carolina, um, Jeremiah was a little bit lesser on the preseason predictions, but I had them ten and two going <laughs> in, um, and they uh. 
and they got the uh, they got the Pittsburgh game, and I didn't think that they would win the game at Pitt. I, I think for this game being at home for North Carolina, coming off a bye with a, a three game home stand, I think it's really important that they handle business. Um, you know, if they don't, and Syracuse gets a win, then you still got a bounce back opportunity next week against Miami coming in. So. You know, the way the ACC is set up, everybody thinks Florida State's going to be that one in the ACC championship game, and then everybody else is fighting for second. Um, and, and given the way the schedules work, um, that may well be the case. But North Carolina needs to get off to a good start. But even if they don't get off to, to a good start Saturday, they've shown the ability to sort of make some adjustments. And I think for Syracuse on the flip side, and you can speak to this, Josh, more than I can, is that uh, – you know, you lost one at home to Clemson that if you played cleanly, you probably win. And um, I think Clemson's out of the ACC race, or they should be, um, but they certainly can beat teams and make it difficult. And I think Syracuse is in the situation where you don't want another loss, especially when you're going to Florida State the following weekend. So a big pressure game as far as postseason ACC championship game how that shakes out for both teams. So I, I think it'll be an interesting take. Yeah, I think Tommy used the perfect phrase of handling business. Um, you look at Syracuse, again, that's a good team. That's a quality team that, um, you know, probably would have had a better, been in a much better position had it not been for, obviously, the three turnovers that led to three touchdowns. Um, when you look at UNC, you are at home. I think you are a more complete team i think unc is a more complete team from top to bottom uh than syracuse but i guess unc fans will be the first to tell you that you know in the i guess matt brown's second era post bye week games have not always gone great they have not always gone their way and you know uh i know john bowman on our podcast was kind of giving some uh info and, and some reasons for that but the bottom line is you want to come out what matt brown had them do was watch the syracuse game in full last week just sit down and just watch the game take notes things like that so when i look at it from that perspective i think unc has an extended look on syracuse you know just from a start to finish type of game on top of whatever film study they would have did this week so this should be an opponent that they really studied and, and that they really that they really know um now obviously they're not avatars you have to go out in the field and produce and do what you do um but I think when I it is a game that I do expect UNC to win. It's certainly a game that they need to win because you follow that up with Miami next week, who is at home. But then you have Duke later on the schedule, and then you have to go at Clemson later on in the schedule as well. Um, look, man, this is the I was watching the uh, you know the the Swamp Kings documentary several weeks ago, and you know I'm not going to talk about the documentary, the quality of it, whatever, but. Uh, there was a phrase that Paul Feinbaum used that I thought was probably a pretty accurate description of even just the ACC. He was describing college football in the pre-playoff era as basically like a, you know, like a double elimination tournament. Like the regular season in and of itself kind of was a tournament. So the ACC is kind of like that too, you know, because you have these teams, all these different little schedules and, and things like that that are all kind of, you know, trying to go on this race to uh, to Charlotte. And every game in that, you know, race, you know, essentially matters. Um, so it's like it's college football is basically like an extended playoff. Um, and I would think what makes this year unique is that 
conceivably, or I guess in, in theory, the ACC could have three undefeated teams, <laughs> uh, you know, by the end of the year, because Florida State, UNC, and Louisville, they don't play each other. So they're able to, you know, kind of run their schedule. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. That'll be a fun little tiebreaker uh, little situation. But, the you know, the ultimate point being is this is a game UNC needs to go ahead and just kind of execute and, and lock it down moving forward into the schedule that certainly does not get any easier after Saturday. Um, I do expect UNC to to win the game. I don't necessarily think it's going to come easy, especially if Syracuse comes out and, you know, is cleaner with the ball and, and is able to run it and, and do the things that it wants to do. Oh, you hit on something real quick, Jeremiah, that I want to get to before I talk about uh, again, the big ticket guy, Drake Man. We'll close it out. What has been the deal with the uh, the 0-4 in the past bye weeks uh, with Mac Brown? Is that a you know a thing a coincidence or is that something that really brings y'all concern and pause? Well, yeah, honestly, uh, I know John was mentioning that a couple of those bye weeks they came off of they had to play Notre Dame, so Notre Dame was on the other side of those. I think that had a factor. They've had a couple of sometimes UNC likes to play the week zero game late in August. So they'll actually have extra bye weeks during the year. So the well, the extra one bye week during the year. So that kind of maybe it's more opportunities to you know kind of have games like that. Um, I know John was mentioning uh, the COVID year. I guess they would have went a couple of weeks without playing. Uh, so it's it's stuff like that. Um, realistically speaking, I just think this team is a little bit better than some of those other teams. I think 2020 actually is probably the best team they've had in the. Mac 2.0. We'll see what this team does, obviously, but I think the 2020 team, even more so than last year, was probably the best team that they had. Um, but we'll see. It's a it's a new, you know, kind of era. Obviously, the defense having a big, you know, uh part of that. So we'll see if UNC is able to take what they've done in those first four games, bring it into Syracuse. I think that will say a lot. A lot I know we we said about a lot of these games that this is gonna say a lot, or we're gonna learn about. But, I mean, this one is really one of those games where if you can take those first four weeks, go into a bye, carry it over, go into Miami undefeated, um, you know, I think that positions UNC greatly. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Syracuse is in a situation, like I mentioned earlier, Clemson, Carolina, Florida State in a row. Um, you, you get in a little sense of desperation if you're Syracuse because um, that ACC race, if you were going to call it a, a – elimination tournament basically which it is now especially without the divisions yeah is you gotta you can't lose two in the conference and uh and so we'll see how it shakes out for syracuse playing desperate i think this is a danger game for north carolina um it's one of those ones where it'll show me a lot how much the talk has trans has translated into um actual doing it and i think this team is different i think the veteran leadership and the maturity across the board is a good thing for this North Carolina team. And I think that's what plays out on Saturday. Uh, but who knows how that funny ball bounces, you know, when it comes down to it and North Carolina have to do it. I said 33-26 on another show. Um, I'll stick with that. And I'll probably use that tonight on our game plan podcast at Inside Carolina. But, you know, at this point, I followed North Carolina long enough to know that um, predicting blowouts in any game is is fool's gold, and I don't care if the line's eight and a half or thirty and a half. Um, it's going to be a one score game. They just all seem to be, and, and we'll see what happens. But thirty three twenty six North Carolina for me on Saturday. 
I got, I went with a very similar score in terms of just hey, us bringing out of some of that, that uh th- those offensive doldrums and you know with the matchup with Schrader being able to do a few more things. I think I went with I think 37 31, a little bit on the higher end, but I think those both offenses are able to to get to that pace and it will be a thing that with the quarter quarterback play rules that you talked about it right at the top, Mr. Tommy, with you know, a guy like Penix, guy like Caleb Williams. This is the year of the QB, not talking about specifically the Pac-12, but with the SEC being down, some of their reduced QB play, if you got a, a good QB or a great QB, I think that y'all have a great QB in Drake May. I think we have a good win in Garrett Schrader. I think that does going to um, lead your offense and be cause a lot of production in other ways that, you know, last, even in previous years, probably defense, specifically when the SEC probably would have been more dominant. For my last question, Mr. Tommy, I'll lead up with you as you're the resident historian. Me and Jeremiah only been outside for a decade, two decades and some change. Um, Drake May, obviously, you know, stepping in the footsteps of his pops. Y'all have had some some really good quarterback play recently with a guy like Mr. Trubisky, Sam Howell, um, even TJ Yates, who had like a little 15 minutes of fame with the Texans. Where would you rank Drake May in the um, in the in the lore of all time UNC quarterbacks? Um, you know, recency bias says always number one without question, but let's be honest. He's played, what were they? Nine and five last year. So that's 14 games or four. He's played 18 college football games and, and, uh, he's really, really good. Um, Sam Howell did it over the course of three years, um, with probably less support. Obviously he had great skill position, but less support from a defense. So that sort of elevated some of Sam's numbers. I think if you're looking at and Mitch Trubisky went number, what, number two in the NFL draft, and maybe that was a reach, but the bottom line is he still went number two. I think Drake can accomplish that. Um, just from a pure skill set, um, straight quarterback skill set, I think Drake's at the top of the list most likely, um, especially given Carolina's really lack of high-end quarterback play. They've had some good ones. I mean, Marcus Williams – was a warrior, a great leader, and all that, but nobody would say his his straight quarterback skills were on the level of elite, Um, but he brought it every single day. So I think Drake's up there. I hesitate to put somebody first when they've only played, you know, a year and a half virtually, but uh, certainly has the potential. And like I said earlier, I think he's gotten a lot better as a quarterback. And I think if that progression continues with Clyde Christensen, helping him, you know, with Chip Lindsay's ability to teach and all. I think we see a guy who may not have the numbers that folks expected, um, but is is much better and much more suited when that the NFL comes calling, likely next year. Because uh, there, there'll be a lot of money on the table for him if he stays healthy and continues to progress. And uh, he's definitely up there, though. Top two, top three as far as everything he's done, and we'll see how this year shakes out. Win an ACC championship, he's top of the list without question. Mm. I said, Jeremiah, you got anything to rebuttal against all that uh, that mountain of history we just going up against right now? <laughs> nah, honestly. Uh, I do agree that last point Tommy made. If they win the ACC, that would be the first time since 1980. Uh, that locks it up, I think. Um, I do think, yeah, if you just looked at his raw skill set, you know, Number one is certainly in the question. If you look at just career accomplishments, um, I would like to see him probably finish this one out, see how it goes, um, you know, before I say he's, you know, the single greatest ever. But, uh, you know, Tommy obviously, you know, has seen several of those UNC quarterbacks, um, you know, not necessarily like a quarterback, like, you know, little like farmhouse, I guess. But, I mean, in the last several years, again, we brought up Sam Howell. We brought up Mitch Trubisky. Drake is going to go top two. 
uh, in all likelihood. Um, but yeah, I think Tommy, man, I think he covered it for sure. I say, well, the NIL is a bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger part of college football. You know, Utah giving all the guys trucks. You know, a guy like Caleb Williams being out of LA right now, and I don't know how uh, realistic it is, but him saying whether or not what team gets up to the top of the list, not the Cardinals. I think that he'll it'll be some <laughs> um, some bias in terms of him coming out or not. So yeah, y'all can if USC can you know round up some collective. I know they got the money for basketball, so I think that we're keeping Baycott. So I think that they can round up some, some of those coins and make it an enticing situation for them to stay. I think that that would be great for college football in general, guys, and just not rushing off to the league as soon as they they're eligible. But I think for us over here at Syracuse Fan Nation, I can't say enough. Honestly, really appreciate the insight. I think this is probably the most fun I've had with one of these behind enemy line type of segments. Um, I think we like fully fleshed out in terms of everything that our uh, fan base can learn about UNC and the football team going forward with this big, uh, big three game stretch for us going, uh, going towards AC play. And our expectations are just a little bit different with honestly, even last year and kind of the up and downness of Babers tenure. I think the bowl game is kind of firmly our line and anything beyond that is gravy. So for y'all go get to the ACC championship game, go ahead and top five quarterback. And for me, Jeremiah and Tommy here. We this is um this is Josh Carver Fan Nation. This is behind enemy lines. So thank y'all so much. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. That'll do it for episode 81 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.